The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Raising capital or taking your business to the world? Investment Fix has everything you need to make it happen. This season, we're exploring the US market, the opportunities it offers, what it takes to grow a business there, and the best way to approach investors. The Investment Fix Podcast. Tune in today. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. Kia welcome to Paper Cuts. My name is Gina Todd and I'm with my fellow paper cutters, Louisa Cossa and Karen Dad. And this is our first podcast for 2019. You can find us on papercutspod at gmail.com, on papercutspod at gmail.com. You can just email us there. You can find us on Twitter, papercutspod, and da 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 da. We're now on Instagram. Woo-hoo. We're on the gram. Ah, oh, we should have done something of us arriving. Anyway, we're failing already. That's also Paper Cuts Pod. What a great intro. Um, today, <laughs> on, it, Jenna. today on Paper Cuts, we're going to be talking about some of our 2019 reading resolutions. We've got a little bit of book news for you. We'll talk about the Unity Book of the Month. And we've got some book reviews in our summer reads. So we've got a few each, eh, hey, guys? Mm-hmm. And then we have our Not Books recommendations. Sounds Yay. good. Are you ready? We're ready. Let's yeah. go. So ready. So do you guys have any 2019 reading resolutions? You guys are looking at me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I kept seeing all this buzz about uh, reading resolutions for the year and I just thought, oh, do you know what? I don't need to do that thing where I'm going to read 60 books a year because I already kind of do that anyway. But my goal might be to read a little bit less mm-hmm. and write a little bit more. Mm-hmm. I think so that's a really lovely goal. That's where I'm at. Wow. Yeah, that's incredible. What about you, Jenna? I'm like stalling. <laughs> I'm still trying to figure out what mine is. Well, I don't have any particular reading resolutions either because we we, um, read, so we read so much. So it's not about hitting numbers. But I would love more listeners for our Paper Cuts podcast. So that's my reading-ish re- resolution. So I would just like all of our listeners to tell your book club, your friends, your family about us. And if you subscribe and rate us and follow us on Instagram and Twitter, that'll be really cool. That would be our year made. Yeah, our year made for sure. Yeah, well, I don't really have any reading resolutions because I'm already perfect. Um, <laughs> you know, I think I'm nailing it, actually. I'm just, you know, I got into some really good reading habits last year, mm. um, ordering a lot of books from the library, picking them up, taking them back. It was a really sustainable way to read a lot of books. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I just want to shout out to the library, which yeah. I feel like I do every episode, and just say to people, don't be afraid to go to your library. Don't be afraid to request a book online Mm. and they'll bring it to your nearest library. And this seems really obvious, but I think a lot of people don't take advantage Mm. of the library. So shout out to the library. Yeah, we love libraries. The library is great. I would use it more if I didn't already work in a bookstore. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, bookstores will always have my heart. But libraries are really good for the backlist stuff that 
You know? yeah. Totally. Yeah. And, and nice really, old editions as well. Yeah, and I've really been indulging in a lot of backlist titles. Yeah, you um, have. You've yeah. been reading really well for backlist. Yeah, well, some, someone's got to cover the backlist, you know, um, especially because you guys are so hey, hey, on top hey. of the front list. <laughs> yeah. So what it – because there are a lot of people that try and hit those numbers of like mm. 100 books in a year, which um, that's two books a week. It's pretty stressful. But you wonder if they're like panic reading stuff just I wonder that finished. too. And, you know – What's they, panic reading? That like, sounds so stressful. <laughs> you know, like when, when we try to finish a book for a review. Yeah. <laughs> Skim reading. But, you know – I have to say that the people I know who boast about reading the most are the ones that can talk about books with way less insight. Oh, and that's it's like really interesting. The kind yeah. of, you kind of try and talk to them about the books that they've read and all they kind of give you is like a little plot. And it's mm. like, man, did you even read the book? Yeah, <laughs> so they're like three out of I'm five pretty, stars. I'm pretty cynical about people who read an astonishingly massive amount. Mm. Yeah. We'll see. My nana used to quiz me because I'd read so fast that she'd be like, I don't believe it. She'd find books and be like, yeah. what TV show was Stacey watching? Stacey in the Babysitter's Club. Babysitter's yeah. Club. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, but, let's move on. Yeah. Um, so we've got some brief book news. We want to um, play a little clip from you earlier, which we'll plot in here regarding the Matatuhi Foundation. Um, also in book news this week, the Matatuhi Foundation has been announced. Mm, this and is very exciting. It's news. pretty exciting. It's been established by the Auckland Writers Festival to support the development of the literary landscape of New Zealand. So um, they have funding activities that will contribute to literacy. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. I think yeah, and general kind of literary goings on. So mm. they are going to make um, they're going to make up ten one-off grants of two thousand to five thousand dollars per year. And the good news is we did get some funding. Woohoo! Yay! Yeah, thanks, Tina. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this will help us continue on and maybe do some interesting things throughout the year mm. um, in terms of us going to places. So we're really, really, really grateful. Thank you so yeah. much to the board of the Matatui Foundation. Thank you so much. Thank you for believing in us. Yeah. Um, the Costa winners were just announced. The Costa Book Awards are, Karen. So the Costa Book Awards are for the enjoyable books of the year written by authors who are based in the UK or Ireland. And um, there are one, two, three, four, five categories. Best First Novel, which was won by Stuart Turton for The Seven Deaths of Evelyn Hardcastle. And Best Novel was Normal People by Sally Rooney. She finally got an award. She finally got this an is, This award. is kind of why we're... Really this is why excited we're talking about the about Costa it. Book Award. Um, it's not, yeah. And biography was won by The Cutout Girl by Bart Van S. And poetry was Assurances by J.O. Morgan. And the Children's Book Award was The Skylarks War by Hilary McKay. Thank you, Karen. Um, yeah, we're just, we're just, <laughs> just so excited that Sally really won. Yeah, yeah I think that's <laughs> really cool. And it's and, been selling like crazy. And it is a book I would no longer buy anyone as a gift because they've probably read Probably it. already on it. And hey. I see it on people's Instagrams all the time. Yeah. Even if they're not big readers, they're like, this is what I'm reading. It's gone virus. It's, virus. It's virus, kind of, for sure. It's kind of reminds me of um, Ferrante Fever a few years ago when everyone oh, was totally. reading like, Brilliant Friends yes. and yep. Instagramming yep. it. And, yep. it, you know, it's, it's, it's a literary work, but it's also got this popular appeal. And everyone was buying it, no matter what gender or age. It's kind of the same thing. Yeah, which is so fantastic yeah. because it's another book by a woman. And a young woman at that. Yes. Yeah, well done. And um, coming up in 
two weeks, we've got the Ockham New Zealand Book Awards. The long list is going to be announced, which is really exciting. Last year, uh, the New Animals by Pip Adam won the Fiction Prize, and there were other prizes as well. Um, but I guess we'd probably concentrate more on fiction in our discussions of the yeah. Ockhams. But yeah. do you guys have any predictions for the long list? Uh, yeah, totally. There's three killer novels, aren't there? There's... um. The Ice Shelf by Anne Kennedy. Would love that. The Small Boy by Fiona Kidman. And I would say The New Ships by Kate Doignan. Those are my three Your three topics. picks. Yeah. Cool. I kind of feel like I can't comment. I have some skin in the game because I work for one of the New Zealand publishers. Okay. You um, can stay silent on this mm-hmm. one. Yes, I'll take the phone. I'm just so happy I can talk about it freely. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Um, this time I'm the one who's self-muzzling. Yeah, I think also the James Pornicky book would oh, yeah, be a potential to be long-listed as well. Yes, Tina Makariti. I'd be surprised if that wasn't. Yeah, but I'm yeah. really hoping to have a book on there that I haven't heard of before or that I just kind of overlooked and that would make me want to yeah. read it. So I'm really yeah. excited to see what the judges have chosen. Yeah, and this time you won't have read every single book on the long list, yeah. which will be nice. Yeah, it'll be nice. It'll give me a little goal for the year. The um, the Ockham Book Awards are in May, but the shortlist will be coming out before then as well. So we'll see. I'm really hoping for that ice shelf. Yeah, so yeah. good. Yeah, we love <laughs> it. I would be happy with any of those three, but yeah. Yeah, cool. Um, and this month, our Unity Book of the Month is a book that Karen really loved last year. Mm. It is uh, In the City of Love's Sleep by Lavinia Greenlaw and published by Faber. And it would be hard to have avoided me raving about this book because I wrote a lot of the literary end-of-year book lists for um, different publications across the media at the end of the year. And this book was on all of my lists. So um, we can actually link to my RNZ review. Yeah, that would be a really great one. Yeah, You can figure it out. But also what you say... Which you probably will say in the review is that it's like a normal people for adults. Yeah, it's like, that's how I pitched it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> normal people for grown ups, the grown up version. Yes. Yeah. But I mean, it's so much more than that. Yeah, I thought I loved that book too. I thought it was beautiful. Mm. Good mm. choice, Unity. Okay. Moving oh my on God, to. It's time. What, are you ready, Louisa? Am I ready? Yeah. For yeah. your book reviews? Yeah. Louisa looks really I was, bewildered and I was born. I was born ready. Oh, by the way, speaking of you being born, it was Louisa's 30th <gasps> birthday, birthday yesterday. yesterday. Happy birthday, Louisa, <laughs> for yesterday. Big 3-0. 3-0. That's actually probably, we're all a little bit tired because we've been at our favourite peach pit. Yeah. Drinking Celebrating. Yeah. 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 Eating um, the oysters. Definitely. Yeah, yeah we, <laughs> we did eat oysters. And I, I must say, I'm I'm feeling all of my 30 years. Um, but I came away with um, some lovely presents, like a, a book, um, which, are, the, which is, um, what is it called? Home, sick yeah, for Another World? Home, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, by Otessa Moshfeg. And I'm so excited. To read that. And Karen gave me a bottle of Prosecco, so it's just like everything was perfectly on point. For my we interests. love you, Louisa. Yeah, we love you too. It was really nice to celebrate with you. Um, so, do you want me to go first with yeah. the book reviews? Okay, well, um, first on the list is um, a novel, and it's called Less a Novel. It's by. I read that too. <gasps> okay, you, know you were looking well? at me. <laughs> yeah. oh my God. Are you thinking what I'm thinking? <laughs> yes. Um, so this, well, we can both talk about mm, it then. Yeah, cool. Oh, fantastic. Um, so I um, found out about this novel from our book club, Jenna, that we're a part of. Oh, what, the one that I didn't go the to? The one that you didn't go to. Um, Just so it, people know, Jenna and Louisa are in a book club that I'm not in. Oh. <laughs> 
You can come anytime. I'm not in the band. You have yeah. a standing invitation. <laughs> <I know>. yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, it was it was set up um, to be very exclusive. No, it's not exclusive at all. Um, I'm too literary. <laughs> so Les, I think, is um, one of those novels that really straddles the divide between being delightful and being melancholy. Mm. And that's a space that I personally really love to live in. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's about a middle-aged, mid-list, kind of middle of the road, um, you know, white, <laughs> um, gay male novelist. Mm. Um, and he has this, I think he... He actually has a wonderful life, and the um, narrator of the book talks about how this person's, you know, the story of Arthur Less is not so bad, mm. is how is how it's put. And you know, he has a lovely place in San Francisco. Um, he has a relationship, um, but you know, things dissolve, and he goes on a tour of the world um, via sort of second tier literary speaking <laughs> events. <laughs> That sort of pay his way around the place and just sort of like gate crashing various sort of literary soirees. And um, all of this is to avoid the wedding of his ex partner mm. to somebody else. Mm-hmm. And he's a tragic, sort of boyish, Peter Panish, but um, very innocent and naive figure. Um, and I just, I just found it so um, sort of. Light, lightly how you know, really intense emotions, lightly felt, mm. um, or light, lightly, lightly written. Um, yeah. It had this effervescence that I really enjoyed. What did you think about it, Jenna? I just thought it was so quite nice and charming. And I, the one thing that made me really want to pick it up was it's David Sedaris's favorite book of two thousand and eighteen. Yes. It's got a bit of a David Sedaris vibe, actually. Yeah, and I mm. think that would book would have spoke to him a lot, especially about the touring and stuff. But also, I have a story about this online book club that I'm on that's mostly based in Wellington. I think I've talked about it before. But one mm. of the girls was waiting at Stansted Airport in London, and she was reading less in the Starbucks. And a man leaned over to her and said, oh, I love that book. And she was like, well, actually, I'm finding it pretty average. And he's, and they had a discussion about it. And then she was like, hang on a minute. And it was David Sedaris. Oh, my gosh. She just wrote in this like oh comment, God. like, this just happened to me. Um, because I find it's been quite polarizing. Like, a lot of people haven't liked it. Yeah. But the people that have liked it have really liked I've it. I've heard re- the same really mixed reviews. People have really liked it or been a little bit ambivalent or... Not yeah, interested. it's the kind of thing like you just chuckle all the way through mm. it. I love the way that it ended. I loved um, how that came about and I wouldn't spoil it, but I just thought that it kind of came together so nicely and it actually had a very happy, lovely ending. Yeah, well, I thought it was beautifully crafted and it had a real veracity to it, even though it was it was quite um, aesthetically pleasing and there was, a, there was a lot of aesthetics in the book. But um, when I turned and looked at the author photograph, I was expecting to see the character Arthur Less mm. in his famous blue suit with mm-hmm. his sort of blonde ducklingish hair. But actually it was, it was a young man. Um, yeah. And I thought, oh my God, like I, I really, I mean, I'm not a middle-aged um, blonde male gay novelist, but I felt like there was this real... Yeah, it, it felt true. It felt mm. so true to me. It's a true love story. Have they written anything previously, this author? I'm not sure, but I follow him on Twitter and he was really surprised okay. to win. Like, he was quite cute about it. <laughs> um, I think one downside is the cover. 
Mm. It kind of has a bit of a Donald Trump look because he has this big... It's got a picture of him kind of falling Mad Men style in his blue suit. And he has this big blonde quiff. And it just... I mean, if anyone sees that kind of chicken-like twiff quiff these days, they would say that. And a lot of people have said that to me while I was reading it. They're like, is that Donald Trump? And I'm like, no, it's Arthur Less, the nicest man in the world. Did you see the photograph of the... um the, the female chicken farmer who looks a lot like Donald Trump. No, oh, but I'm going to Google. I'll make sure <laughs> oh, to Google it right now. It is actually shocking how much yeah. she looks like okay. Donald Trump. Well, I'm sure she's we'll a really nice lady, though. Yeah, post it on the page. Yeah, writing that down. Okay. Oh, cool. I'm gl- so glad you read that, and I'm really glad you liked it because, um, yeah, I really thought about David Sedaris when I was reading it, which added mm. to it. And <laughs> it's just so sweet and charming. That's I love David I Sedaris. Say. Yeah. I absolutely adore him. Um, so maybe I should read Lisa. Well, you can, yeah. I've got a copy. I you think can you would it. like Lisa. I think, in a similar way to David Sedaris, there's this way of conveying lightness and sweetness while at the same time being quite dark at mm. times, not flinching from darkness, but also, yeah, just being fun and fizzy. <laughs> What was that? Something just oh. fell down on the wall. <laughs> just a prop. Just a little uh, just a water it. gun. Props falling down. Yeah. There. Yeah. Um, okay. yeah. No, highly recommend it. And also, if you don't like it, it's only about 170 pages, so you oh, wouldn't have spent much time mm. on it. So. Yeah. <laughs> and if you don't like it, you're a monster. <laughs> what else did you read? Like? Okay, moving swiftly along. I um, I read, um, I think it was at Kieran's recommendation, Cassandra at the Wedding by Dorothy Oh, Baker. yeah, I read yeah. it too. Yeah, and well, yes, that's right, at both of your recommendations, actually. Um, so this is a reissue of a book originally published in 1962. Um, uh, the edition that I read that's just come out is um, from Daunt Books. And... Um, so Cassandra at the Wedding, the titular Cassandra Edwards, is a graduate student. Um, she's struggling to finish her thesis. She's gay. She's um, neurotic. She's brilliant. Um, and she has a twin sister who has a much easier time of things, it would appear. Mm-hmm. And um, her twin sister is about to get married to a nice young doc- doctor from Connecticut. Um, and Cassandra is not having it. She's not having a bar of it. She doesn't want this wedding to continue because she thinks that um, that she and Judith, her twin, they both have incredible names, um, <laughs> so should just live together as twins forever and sort of preserve the sanctity of um, this feeling of specialness that was such a part of their growing up. Um, and they have this very tight-knit family who had a ranch in California, the father's an academic, the mother is a writer, and um, they, you know, they have they have this life that they really treasure together that is sort of exploded, and everyone goes off in their different directions, and Cassandra is not really able to handle that, that sort of movement away from each other that's, occur- that's naturally occurring, and that's really is a healthy way for siblings to carry out their adult lives you know? <laughs> I mean no judgment you know if twinsy live together you know rock on dead but, ringers um, dead ringers <laughs> yeah dead ringers that's a great film I love that film yes um, quite different but yeah I'd say it's quite different yeah, there's less body horror <laughs> yeah. in Cassandra at the wedding than in dead ringers um so I hugely enjoyed that and I think um you know, something about the tight nicheness of the family res- really resonated with me, and I, I really want to share it with my family. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, but um, yeah, really, really enjoyed that. What did you guys think of it? Uh, I thought it put a lot of 
other books for me in context of, and I'll speak about that later with another book that I'm reviewing, but just being of that time and kind of that Bell Jar-esque mm. book on depression. And that book gets quite dark as as well, but it's so visceral and beautiful. Because you I were saying re- when you read it, you were reading quite a lot of similar books at the time. Yeah, just like another book about a depressed young woman. It was, it, that was another one of those, I think. It was yeah, the one I read about Christmas. We read Christmas a lot time. of those yeah. last year, I think. So, it, you know, that kind of hit at a time where it was probably the 10th book like that I'd read last year, but I still thought it was a lovely read. If I did and have lovely a... Lovely is not the right word, but... If I did book. have a reading resolution, sorry for interrupting, it mm-hmm. would probably be to be to read fewer books about wealthy white ladies <laughs> suffering from existential ennui <laughs> um, through to severe depression, you know, on, on a sort of sli- on a sort of sliding scale, um, yes. and maybe read some things about <laughs> something else. But then again, I don't know. It just they, they it seem to attract to them. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't know why. <laughs> I mean, I complain about it, but I'm the one picking them up after reading. It's something the compelling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then the last one that I want, the last book that I um, I'm actually currently reading, and I was desperately trying to finish it today, but it's not the kind of book you can kind of rush through. Is um, it's a backlist title. It's um, Pale Fire by Vladimir Nabokov, um, famously the author of Lolita. Um, this is a novel that, like you just said, Jenna, this novel put a lot of other novels and a lot of other literature in context mm. for me because it's a really important book, I think, in terms of the way that it um, brings in what we call the paratext, the... Um, the you know the the introduction and the mm. forward and the notes and you know I I know that last year we talked um, about a couple of books that sort of played with that um, one of which was the ice shelf mm. where the entire book is written as an acknowledgments to a novel yeah. that arguably doesn't exist mm-hmm. um, and also when I talked about Kirsty Gunn's book yes. Caroline's Bikini and that book had an extensive notes at the back um, which is sort of unusual for a modern work of fiction. Um, that sort of formed a part of the actual narrative mm-hmm. um, and it was a really kind of interesting way to read and I found it quite challenging and at times irritating, mm. um, which we've already discussed. <laughs> so um, Pale Fire, um, I'm just going to give you a bl- brief synopsis that I got from the Auckland Library website. Mm-hmm. Um, a novel constructed around the last great poem of a fictional American poet, John Shade, and an account of his death. The poem appears in full, and the narrative develops through the lengthy and increasingly eccentric notes by his posthumous editor. And so Mm -hmm. this is a very, I sort of felt my brain melting as I read this book. It was so, um, there are so many through lines of of different narratives, and you also, um, it's a very unreliable narrator. Which he's classic at doing, isn't he? That's his... Yes, kind that's of thing, having the unreliable narrator. Yes, and yeah. if you've read Lolita, then you'll be familiar with the that kind of tone, that tone, and that sort of very florid, um, wordy um, sort of tone, and how he addresses the audience. Yes, kind of implicates you and directly. Yeah. Um, so you've read Lolita, obviously. Yeah, Karen. Yeah. Um, so um, I'm finding Powerfire immensely rewarding, but also. Um, not a beach read in the traditional sense, but mm-hmm. maybe it is a beach read because it's nice to be somewhere <laughs> calming because reading it is quite an intense 
thing that you don't necessarily want to do on a winter's day when you're already feeling bleh. How, how many pages is it? Um, I don't know. It's not, it's not a fat novel, is it? It's it quite... No, it's it's not a long novel, let's okay. just say. It's a, it's a medium-length novel. Um, oh, I don't know, it's probably around like 300 pages. Mm-hmm. And it is, it's just extremely dense. Mm-hmm. Um, and reading it is, you don't, it's not one of those books where you're reading it and you, and it's a page turner and you're immersed in the plot. You're reading it and you're aware that you're, of, of the fact that you are reading a book. Mm-hmm. He quite often injects a really kind of comic, black kind of comic element in his book. Does this one have that as well? I think absolutely. Great. He's yeah. so good at that. Oh, yeah. Um, the main, um, the, the, the aforementioned posthumous editor is just such an eccentric guy. Um, you know, just... Yeah, I, I don't even want to give, it, give anything more away, but if you've been kind of think, thinking about reading Palfire, um, you know, do it. Um, why did you pick it up to read it? Was it something that you'd heard about recently or you've always wanted to read it? It's yeah. something that, I, you know, I can't remember the exact moment where I decided that I was going to read it, but it's something that pops up in a lot of writing about writing mm. um, as like a really important part of how modern literature has kind of um, moved in the direction of of being metafictional and self-referential. But also I think it does that while being quite a rollicking sort of read Mm -hmm. and almost, um, yeah, so I just kept on. It's one of those things where you keep on hearing it pop up and Mm -hmm. then you just eventually, you know, eventually I was kind of like, oh, fine, I'll read it. Like if I must, you know, if people are going to keep talking about it. Yeah. And the same can be said for another book that I'm about to start reading, which is Nightwood by Juna Barnes. Oh, my mm-hmm. gosh. Yeah? I love that book. Okay, that makes me I can't wait for you to, to read, read that, Lou. All right. Well, we'll circle back next time, eh? Okay. Um, and then can I just um, say quickly other books I read but not review them? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so these are, like, the ones that I have less to say about. Um, <laughs> A Letter to the Sky by John Boyle. Oh, mm. interesting. Um, Never Anyone But You by Robert Thompson. Mm-hmm. Rupert. Rupert. Rupert, Rupert yeah. Thompson. Um, the Pisces by ah yeah can't remember Melissa something uh, Melissa Broder and Evening in Paradise by Lu- Lucia Berlin which oh. I loved Lucia but, Lucia sorry which I loved actually they tell you how to pronounce the name inside the book <laughs> um, but I feel like that's something that we can talk about another time and yeah. something that you've already talked about quite yeah. a bit yeah um, so what did you think of the Pisces the Pisces I thought was fun. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't um, blown away by it, mm-hmm. but I enjoyed reading it. I think I re- it took me a couple of days to read it. I read it on my holidays, and I sort of found it kind of soapy, like a little bit trashy, mm-hmm. but also had some interesting ideas mm-hmm. in it and a very unusual conceit that mm-hmm. that I thought was pulled off like with a, a, with quite a lot of panache. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. cool. Yeah, I, I that made me laugh a lot when I read it. <laughs> I remember when you were reading that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It yeah. really just like goes there, eh? Like it really gets into every orifice of of mermaid of, of mer- inter interspecies <laughs> mermaid human sex. Yeah. <laughs> every orifice. Yeah. <laughs> every salty sandy orifice. <laughs> but, the merman, his tail starts from below his bum, which, you know. Yeah, if anyone's wondering <laughs> yeah. how that works. I mean, that was my first question. Yeah, yeah. And she answers it the very logistics. quickly. <laughs> but he has a little loincloth that he ties around to protect his tender parts from the salt water. Very fantastic. Yeah. Um, so that's me. Thank cool. you. Oh, Thank hey, you guys for great. listening. Thank I you, I cannot Lynn. wait to hear what you've been reading. Ooh, who's next?
I can go. Yeah, I sure. Can go. Um, I caught up on a few prize winners. I went to Great mm. Barrier Island and spent a lot of time lying on this hammock, just reading while everyone else was very being very active. I read Milkman, the um, man booker prize winner by Ooh. Anna Burns, and <laughs> not Anna, Hunt. which I always call Anna Hunt. <laughs> yeah. Karen always laughs at me, oh, just like Robert Thompson over here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and what do I have to say about Milkman? Um, <clears throat> I read this book last year called Peach by Emma Glass, which was this mm. little novella about a young woman who'd been sexually assaulted. Um, I think it's set in England, and all the characters are kind of set up as um, as food items. Like the 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 guy who sexually assaults <laughs> her is a Sausage, and um, <laughs> and like really greasy. I can't believe I took a gulp of water at that exact moment. I almost did a spit take on this microphone. And so I felt that very, um, like quite visceral and like intense. And I felt like Milkman was a longer version of that. So I was kind of a little bit like I've read something similar to this before. I've been saying a lot this week when people have asked what I've thought. I did, I liked it, but I found it quite relentless. And I was glad that I was on holiday reading it because I think if I was in a busy time of year while I was working, I might, I probably would have been like, oh yeah, I get the point. I'm going to give up on it now. Yeah, um, it's that kind of thing of what I was saying before of like a beach read should pro- possibly be something that's not super easy to read. Yeah, I quite like that yeah. for like a yeah, big yeah. long saga or something like yeah. that and and so I'm really glad I read it. I I I'm, I didn't read it and think this should have never won the man Booker prize. I was like it's oh, great yeah, that this it won. is like yeah. pushing the boundaries of fiction. It's a strong voice. I've learned so much more about Northern Ireland and also polarizing. You know, and then polarizing. Which I really like, you know, it's not a middling middle of the road people pleasing kind of book it was judged on literary merit. And it's so tense. It's such mm, a tense read and you feel like that's like that was kind of the relentlessness of it was that it, it, I wasn't comfortable when I was reading it and the, and and because there's barely any paragraph breaks it just keeps on you keep going, going hey. and you just yeah. can't take a breath yeah um but I would really recommend people just trying it out at oh, least totally. um, and it's yeah. going to bring a discussion so many people would have got that over Christmas yeah. and they'll all have an opinion on it I am sure and I want to hear what people think what you know readers thought of that book I absolutely loved it yeah and yeah. I we might talk about it a little bit later but Northern Ireland seems to be on trend right yes. now in terms of pop culture <laughs> we've got a bit, uh, a bit here yeah I was just thinking about how I think it's often been a bit of a blind spot mm. in terms of like a kind of Anglo-American yeah. way of looking at the world it's it's something that's very uncomfortable to think mm. about but now it's definitely having a moment isn't it well I think what's we were talking about how um People who might be writing about it now uh, were kind of teenagers at that time, yes. or and mm. and so now they're at the age, I guess, where they're starting to produce work about their experiences. Yeah. Also, Similar to maybe how uh, the Cold War has had kind of um, a resurgence in people's minds, I yeah. would say. Mm. And then I think also because of Brexit, that mm. kind of brings up the whole, like, well, what about Northern Ireland um, thing? What's going to happen there and so that that will be interesting to see how it goes but yeah, I'll talk okay. about Northern Ireland I can't Ireland wait later. to hear more about Northern Ireland um, it's so trendy and hot right now yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, re- I read um, yeah Less by Andrew Sean Greer and I also read The Vegetarian by Han Kang have you oh, guys that's read been that? on my list for so long I haven't read long. it no. oh, I've got a coffee I'll bring it for yes. you yes um, 
this does book not made appeal me, to me. Oh, this book made me so hungry. <laughs> um, the food <laughs> okay, sounds wasn't so expecting good. That. Is the, it vegetarian food? Well, it's actually well. It, so the main it's about. Um, I'm talking about these books like you guys already know what they're about. Well, yeah, but, I don't really well, know what but, it's about. But, you know, we kind of do. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> so the vegetarian won the International Man Booker in 2017. It's a Korean novel, and it's about this woman who just decides to stop. She be, decides to be vegetarian one day. And, she, and in Korea, you know, in New Zealand, that would be kind of fine. But in wow. Korean culture, mm. you know, you don't give up your meat. The third world country thirty years ago, and meat is seen as such a like uh, that is what you're you'd give a guest um, to show you're grateful for them, and that's what mothers would give to their sons to, for them to grow really strong. So for a family member to not eat meat anymore is a huge deal. So right. this woman decides she's going to be vegetarian. It's narrated initially by her husband, and he is just outraged, and the family like put in massive interventions her parents are like holding down her down trying to shove meat in her mouth and it's quite uncomfortable um and and then it goes on from there so you have it narrated by her husband then her creepy brother-in-law and then her sister and it's a super creepy korean book and Mm. it kind of puts in you know how there's like great korean horror movies Mm. and and it kind of has that kooky factor which i really love because I think Korean culture can be seen as quite like um, straight up and very like submissive and this really turns it on its back because it's kind of this great underbelly of Korean culture. Um, There's these beautiful visual moments in the book because, oh, she really wants to just be a, to turn into a tree. That's quite a big part of the story. And there's these beautiful um, visual uh, moments of her practicing standing on her head because she believes her fingers are the roots to the, her being mm. a tree and her turning into a mm. plant. So I do that all the time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's super wacky. When I put it on my Instagram, like, I had a few people like, message back being like, oh, that book was so weird. <laughs> but I really enjoyed it. It was great. Um, I used to live in Korea and I just loved all the food descriptions because what they would do is like describe all these amazing meals and then her refusing to eat them. (laughs) She's really um, vegan but I think it's vegetarian's a better title than the vegan. The vegan. It doesn't have the same (laughs) ring to it, does it? (laughs) Um, And I've read a couple of other books that are coming out later this year, which I'll save for later, but I've also been reading um, another a throwback book called Fear of Flying, which I think you guys would both really enjoy. I haven't quite finished it yet. Um, It was published in 1973, and I bought it last year when I was at City Light Bookstore in L.A. It was in the staff picks, and it's about this woman's um, sexual awakening. What is it called? Skylark? Skylark. Skylight? Sky. Oh. Not City Lights, that's the San Francisco one. I can't remember anyway. what it's called. It has a big tree thing in the middle and they have a cat and it's really cool. And the guy from Trans Parent owns it. Oh, okay. What, Jeffrey Tambor? Yeah, he has a, a, a stake in mm, it. Old problematic yeah. fave, Jeffrey yeah, Tambor. Yeah, I know. <laughs> oh, good. Um, but it is a beautiful bookstore. <clears throat> anyway. So um, this was written by Erica Jong, and when I was talking to someone um, about this who are in their 70s, she was like, oh, my God, everybody mm. read that this book in the 70s. So this woman called um, Isadora Wing, which is such a great um, <laughs> character name, is searching for what she calls the ultimate zipless fuck. She's married, mm. 
And she has really good sex with her husband, but he just doesn't really fulfill her completely. So she wants to just like come across strangers and the zipless fuck is like, your clothes will just fall off and you don't have to talk to each other and you'll never know their name and never see them again. And she kind of wants to be filled, fulfilled in that way. Her husband's a psychoanalyst, so she's in this, um, she's had this conference in Germany of psychoanalysts and then there's another guy that called Adrian that she's really into. Um, so she's like, very torn between her husband Bennett and Adrian, but she has these amazing moments of insight of mother being motherhood. Um, not that she's a mother, but how she views motherhood, um, how she views her family and her mother and relationship, married life, and then you know what else you can do as a woman. So I just feel like it's very forward thinking. Um, you know, it feels very relevant today. Mm -hmm. It really reminds me of. I love Dick by Chris Krauss, and it, I'm like, there's, mm -hmm. Chris Krauss must have been super informed by this book when she she wrote I Love Dick. And again, like Cassandra at the Wedding and The Bell Jar, it puts so many other books I've read recently in context. And so I've just loved, I've just really enjoyed it. It's really funny. It's really smart. I am dying to read it, but I'm also like, this goes against the New Year's oh, I just made. <laughs> I'm, just, I I'm so torn, but not really. I'm I'm totally going to read it's it. It's totally kind of one of those books, but I guess she's just, yeah, she's a little bit woe as me, but she's just so funny. And were you saying Erica Jong's writing a follow up? She's written. Or she's written. She's a written another book, like I think, in the last couple of years, and wow. it's got a quite similar title. Might have flying or fear yeah. in the title. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's really good. She has a great descriptions of, of flying. I like carrying this on a plane, actually. This yeah. Um, yeah. I've got a nice 70s um, paperback edition of that book, but oh. I've yet to read it. So, oh, yeah. Yeah. Good summer read. So, Lou, I'll give this to you when I'm finished to read. Yes, please. Um, so, those have been the books that I've read. It's been a good summer great. Of reading. Oh, great thank recommendations. You. Yeah. Karen. Oh, it's me. Okay, so, <laughs> so I read a few things over my summer break, and um, the first one I'll talk about is Paradise Rot by Jenny Val, and she's a Norwegian writer. And I was already aware of her um, because she's a musician, and um, I guess she does kind of avant-garde experimental music. But it turns out she was actually a writer first. Oh, um, I didn't know and that. so this, yeah, she was. Um, Originally, this was published in 2009, but this has been um, translated into English through Verso Books uh, last year. And it's a really slim novel, and I read it in an afternoon. And it's probably one that I wouldn't normally have read if I didn't already know who she was, but I'm really glad that I did. And it's about Jo, uh, a Norwegian international student. And she moves to study in another country, and it could be England or it could be Australia. Jenny Val actually um, spent some time in Australia as a student, so there was sort of speculation that it could be kind of autobiographical. But um, yeah, she so she's studying biology, and she moves into this old warehouse with Carol, who's a literature graduate. And the warehouse is this old brewery, and it's a really weird setup. I guess it's pre-gentrification um, so it's a little bit makeshift the wall there aren't proper walls it's kind of wallless and um, something really strange happens um, nature starts to move in um, into this warehouse it sort of becomes this really humid terrarium where Ooh. a really humid damp moist space where um 
things start to grow. And it's just really, it's quite intense. So I found the book extremely abject and really visceral. Um, and it feels very alien, but strangely familiar. And I think it's really revolting and kind of harshly, weirdly sensual. Um, it's full of all this really confronting sensory detail. Um, and a friend also read it and she described it. I, you know, I said, what did you think about Paradise Rock? She said, oh, it's quite gross. <laughs> you know, like... That's kind of putting me in mind of the vegetarian, yeah, what well, you're describing. You yeah, yeah, and um, the way she actually talks about food and... Um, it's so descriptive. She talks about, you know, she's come from Norway and she's eating this food and she describes this English food. It's really soft. Mm, <laughs> the oh, way she disgusting. describes it. I, it's so, <laughs> the way she describes the mouthfeel of food and she says, you know, the only crunch you can feel is the sugar and mm. on your mouth. It's not rough like Norwegian food. But anyway, so things start growing in the warehouse and it sort of becomes this really damp, rotting space and um, mushrooms sort of grow by the bath and things start fermenting. Um, and it's almost as if Joe and Carol are going to sort of get swallowed up by it. Um, there's this little heavy-handed bit um, where a bag of apples sort of start to rot and, you know, it feels very biblical and Adam and Eve-ish. Um, <laughs> a bit on the nose. Yeah, just a little bit, yeah, those <laughs> illusions. But I think... Um, the relationship between Carol and Joe, it's kind of like the study of female desire and sexual awakening and queer desire. And when I was reading it, I was just thinking of all these people I know who I think would love the book. Mm, you know, so I think cool. yeah, people we know, you know, it's like, mm. oh, you know, they would love this. And um just really evocative, um, fantastical kind of world. And Joe, I mean, she's studying biology, so she's got a mind like a scientist, and you're sort of reading it and you think She's so dispassionate and an observer, and she's not even really bothered by all this gross stuff happening. Carol's right, and she's actually, sort of interested. She's just kind of interested and observing it. Um, Carol starts sleeping in the same bed as her, and she always urinates on her, <laughs> <laughs> and she can't help it. It's just this thing that happens. I think that might be an anxiety thing. And Joe, it's at the way she describes it, it's so kind of icky. But Joe's not even bothered. She's bothered by other things that, you know, you sort of think, oh, she's bothered so by she, that. She's not bothered by biology. No, no. Yeah. Um, and, you know, people keep saying, oh, your English is so good. You know, your English is really, really good. But she still doesn't fit in. She's an outsider and a, an observer, you know, like she has the language, but the cultural markers aren't really there. It's all a bit um, askew. So, um yeah, amazing book, really. Um, a really good mood piece and really atmospheric. Chris Krause is a really big fan mm. of this. Um, so on the back, there's a quote from Chris Krause saying, Jenny Vale creates a parallel world that's familiar but subtly skewed, as intriguing and impressive a novelist as she is a musician. Vale is a master of quiet horror and wonder. Um, <clears throat> beautiful cover, too. I think it might be an image from the... VNA. Um, no, the Met. Oh, cool. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Oh, thanks. So, yeah, that I read that. Great. Yeah. And then another book I read was um, For the Good Times by David Keenan. And that's about to come out in um, late January, early February. And I've got my copy here. 
<laughs> and I just pulled it out of my bag and um, it's had an unfortunate um, meeting with a squash nectarine in my bag. <laughs> it kind of matches the cover <laughs> of the book, though. I feel like it would be more appropriate if it had been Paradise Rot. Yeah. So my poor David Keenan book has got um, mashed nectarine all over it. But um, really, I've been looking forward to this book for the longest time, and I read it over the Christmas break and absolutely loved it. Um, David Keenan wrote a novel that people might remember me raving about everywhere uh, a couple of years ago called This Is Memorial Device. <clears throat> and um, I absolutely loved that book. It was one of my favourite novels of that year. It was sort of like this great, grubby psychogeography of outsider culture. And I think... A really bold and energising love letter to small town Scotland. Um, David Keenan's a Scottish writer. But this new novel, For the Good Times, is largely set in Belfast during the time of the Troubles. Northern Ireland. Um, oh. And I guess some of you will find that a familiar theme because um, Anna Burns won Milkman. Same publisher, Faber Books, um, who I feel like I exclusively spend all my time promoting their books. <laughs> they should give you <laughs> a job. They yeah. really should, actually. Or sponsor our podcast. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Although I'm thinking that our podcast should be sponsored by Prosecco. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're a genius. <laughs> Um, but they just publish what I like. But this is this amazingly harsh, brutal insider's account uh, based around a group of friends who live in um, predominantly Catholic and poor area of North uh, Belfast. And the aim is, you know, to have a free state um, and they'll stop at nothing to do this. But it's told from the, it's so different to Milkman. Um, mm. It's told from the perspective of Sammy, who's a jailed Republican foot soldier, um, who's done a lot of the kind of dirty work. And... This group of friends, they're like this debonair character, characters. They kind of act like celebrities. Um, so at times it's quite romantic. Mm. There is actually a little romantic um, kind of subplot that runs through it. So it's at, at times both romantic and completely brutal and written in this really... He's done it with his last novel, um, writes in a really great oral history kind of style um, and I think David Keenan has a really sort of singular voice um, I would not be surprised if this is long listed or short listed for the man booker mm. when it comes around to the time um, so yeah I mean these guys they all have sharp suits and style and they know about their crooners like they're all really into Perry Como and they talk about this horrible music that's coming um, <laughs> into fashion you know punk rock oh. <laughs> it's it's a really crack up novel as well it's really oh, really it's funny oh, it is really oh, funny okay. in places it's just got such um crack up dialogue and really funny little incidents that happen I laughed a lot um, but I knew of Keenan's work um, previously because he was a music journalist for The Wire which, you know, I've always read. And his first book I read over the summer holidays too, which is England's Hidden Reverse, which is about weird esoteric music that I listen oh, cool. to. Um, so this is his third book, but his second novel. And I just think he really evokes the kind of brutal everyday violence from a perspective, you know, at a time where the IRA was the law. And, um, yeah, it just really evokes the voice of the people. 
um, really cold eyed look, but it was very crack up as well. Oh, cool. And um, you, you were saying earlier to me that it was set in 1978. Yeah, I think it's, oh, I can't quite remember, 77 to 80, mm-hmm. kind of in, so in that kind of era of um, the troubles. And I know that it will be one of my novels of the year. Oh, really? Cool. Um, so early. I know, but it's such a cracker. And yeah, yeah, it's such a cracking. Good that book. is a ring and I've been looking yeah I've been looking forward to it for so long and just some other books that I read that I'll just mention yep. over the break was uh, The Importance of Music to Girls by Lavinia Greenlaw who mm-hmm. has done the Unity Book of the Month um, yeah that was a book that was recommended to me over a year ago by Fergus Barriman at VUP mm-hmm. and he's never put me wrong with his recommendation so I bought it about a year ago and it's been sitting on my bedside table all that time and I finally read it and it was really great cool yeah really really great and English England's Hidden Reverse I also read that over my break Cool. Yeah. Is the for the David Keenan? Is mm. that going to be the cover? It's this great orange cover with an awesome yeah, photo. Yeah, it is such a killer cover, isn't it? It's so great. It's great. It's um kind of like a seventies image of some sharp suited lads drinking uh, brown ale, and they've got kind of um it's been sort of doctored. They've got like drawings over their faces. It's really cool. And is it the real cover? I think it is. Oh, yeah, cool. yeah, it is. It yeah. is. Yes, it certainly is. It's a really intriguing image. Yeah, it's yeah. going to pop. You know, like that's good publishing right there. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yep. Noted. Yeah. Orange covers. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> definitely. A that's yes. the one. Yep. Now, one thing I forgot to do. Oh, thanks for your reviews, Karen. Oh, you um, <laughs> One thing I forgot to say in coming up is we're just going to do a little who the fuck is. Oh yeah. Um. So sorry. Surprise. <laughs> surprise. Um, surprise. Special. You know, this you can feel special for if you're still listening. Um. So we thought we'd talk <laughs> about Marie Kondo, which has been talked about so mm. much recently, um, because she is the author of the life changing magic of tidying up the Japanese art of decluttering and organizing and also spark joy and she's the inventor of the KonMari method they've been huge sellers since 2012 yeah. but the Netflix show Tidying Up with Marie Kondo has just come out so it's we're seeing a resurgence <laughs> seeing a resurgence but I guess um, it'd be interesting to talk about her approach to books because there's been a bit mm. of a backlash on the internet about what people think about her method um, but you know Louisa was the original Marie Kondo uh, <laughs> user in my life. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's you, true. I, bu- I bought the book when it came out, I think. Um, tidying and organising is something that appeals to me, not mm. because I'm necessarily a very tidy or organised person, um, but just because there is something enjoyable, I think, about putting things in order and about sort of um, I tend to – I want to know what – what ex- what is in my house and where it is, um, even if it's not like super like sparkling clean and gorgeous. I, I feel overwhelmed mm. if there, if there are sort of things haunting mm. dark cupboards. Mm-hmm. Um, so I bought the book and I, you know, I think the nice I think the the thing about the book is that I took what I wanted from it. Mm-hmm. So, I, you know, I. I actually started folding my T-shirts in what I thought was the manner she prescribed. But then the benefit, I guess, of a TV show is that it shows you that you've been doing it wrong the entire time. <laughs> so has your so, approach changed? Yes, I've, oh, wow. um, I've updated it. I'm like, yeah, this is even better. <laughs> um, so this is a, a method of folding T-shirts. Um, I, I personally have always really struggled with my T-shirt drawers. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, it's really hard for me to 
to admit it, but I'm just going to yeah, come out and confess it to you guys right now, you know, that my T-shirt drawers have been a source of anguish oh, for my entire well, life. Now you've watched the show, it's given you a bit more... Um... Yeah, it's an ongoing journey. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, was, um, I wasn't exactly excited when I heard there was going to be a mm. Netflix television show. We've moved on. Um, yeah, but I was, I was like... I was like mildly intrigued um, and then I watched the show and I found it strangely compelling mm. um, what, um, have, have you guys watched the show? Have you... I haven't watched the show, you haven't Yeah I've watched yeah. about four episodes Whoa. and it really fits the kind of like um, <laughs> the like wife swap or like if you're having the, you know it fits a lot of prescribed shows like yeah. that someone comes in um, have a snoop around. Have a snoop around. And... But she's so charming and she's so like unassuming. I guess like she just. But she's not. She's a and... shrewd businesswoman. Oh, she she is. But she's you know like people. Um, oh, the other one. It kind of reminds me of Super Nanny. Um, if you remember. That. <laughs> um, what I really love is seeing Japanese culture incorporated into really American television because she yeah. has her translator with her and she speaks Japanese, but they often let her say her thing in Japanese and then they'll translate it. They're not like copy cutting over her or anything um the guests on the show have massive consumerism issues like those are big houses Um, and a lot of stuff yeah i thought it was i thought it was really interesting i think i've watched three episodes um i watched up to the one with the widow oh that was so sad Um, maggie maggie yeah maggie um whose husband has died and she's trying to get rid of all his enormous clothes because he's a very physically imposing man um yeah, I um I there's been so many think pieces. I'm really surprised by the amount of response there has been. Oh, it's been overwhelming. Cuz yeah, when I watch it's, it, it's a tsunami of of hot takes. She's not stream. like if she's just like if you want it, keep it. Like if this item sparks joy, if these 50 <laughs> boy books spark joy, yeah, yeah. keep them. She's not like she's not telling them to throw out everything. And they're like, they're like I can't decide. She's like just put it aside. And you can think about it and decide later. Like, she's pretty chill and she comes in. Uh, the, when Margie was getting rid of her books, she's like, oh, I don't know what, you know, if I can get rid of these. They're all my husband's. But the first book they pulled out was Bill Cosby. I'm like, you can get rid of that book. Okay, so I have a confession to make. People come around to my house and they're like, oh, it's so neat and tidy, but they don't know about this one room. Yeah. <laughs> It's like Bluebeard's chamber yeah. of books. That nobody has access to. And in this room, there are about 40 boxes of books that I've been moving around with. There might even be more. I haven't been in there in a while. And Karen's always like, I'm going to go sort out those books. And I did one box over the summer. I yeah. so, two boxes over the summer. So, yeah. Hey, but, that's um, great. But in those boxes, there are three Bill Cosby books. Yeah, those can go so, somewhere. Yeah, yeah, I don't think an op shop will want to take them. No. But I don't, you know, I don't have heaps of books in my house and I'll try and give them away or like mm. reshuffle or think, oh, actually, I'm never going to read that. Mm. So I'm trying, and maybe because I don't own a house that I'm consciously always thinking of, like, I'm probably going to be moving one day. Mm. Um, so I just think if you don't want heaps of books, that's fine. But if you want them, keep them. And you know I feel what? like Mari's into it. I do as well as if I am in a secondhand bookshop and I see a book that I really love, 
I'll kind of buy multiple copies. I think, oh, you know, I want to give that to someone one day. I think that's really nice. It's really nice, nice, but that day never comes. Uh, Maybe I, I don't have any friends. Or... Uh, <laughs> you need to make it. You can't put it in with the other yeah, boxes. Exactly. You need to put it in Time a little special. pile. Yeah, I think yeah. actually I have a kind of like out in tray out tray of books, mm. and often if there's if um. If I know that I'm going to see someone, I'll often think to myself, what book would I like to give Aww, them? Yeah, I love them. Yeah, or like what book have I borrowed from them and need to return? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And I'll try and remember. And um, and, and it is, it's often nice, um, I think, to say to them, you don't have to give this back. Um, mm. Because sometimes, sometimes you mm. love a book and you want someone to read it because you love it, but you're also ready to let it go, mm-hmm. and you sort of know that if it's meant to be, then it'll come back into your life again. And, you know, like um, yeah. Uh, what yeah. I do like about the TV show is that they're not coming in and changing anything; they're just taking mm. stuff out. So it's not like, and they're really like just homely homes, a little bit, you know. They're not mm. perfect. They're not coming in and, and we'll paint a That's wall good. and we'll buy new furniture for you. And you can tell she's using, like, when she brings in all her boxes, she's just got shoe boxes and stuff. So it's really working with what they already yeah. have. Um, so it's not about buying new things to make it better. It's just working with what you've got. I love this quote <laughs> about her. It talks about how she grew up. Um, she said this. Um, I got it from Wikipedia, but it's from the Australian. Um about how she came to be the way she is. She said, I was obsessed with what I could throw away. One day, I kind of had a nervous breakdown and fainted. I was unconscious for two hours. <laughs> oh, my gosh. When I came to, I heard a mysterious voice, like some god of tidying, tell me to look at me, my things more closely. And then I realized my mistake. I was only looking for things to throw out. What I should be doing is finding the things I want to keep, identifying the things that make you happy. That is the work of tidying. Oh, thank you, Jenna. That is an mm. incredible quote that I think really sums up a lot about what is so intriguing about the person, um, you know, Marie um, and her attitude to things. Um, how um, how sort of kooky um, and so, and sort of magical. She's her, quite spiritual. Yeah, she's quite spiritual. She has a sort of animist approach to objects where she sees them as sort of having their own kind of soul. Mm. Um, and it is really interesting, as you said, to see it juxtaposed with these incredibly American consumers. Families, yeah. Um, yeah, she's moved to LA. She's moved out of from that's where the doshes. That's where the doshes. But <laughs> and I love how ageless she is. She's thirty four, but she could be sixteen. She could be sixty. Like she is quite ethereal, and she's tiny. She was standing next to a cello. Did you see the episode with that family <laughs> yeah, in the apartment? She was dwarfed by the <laughs> cello. Yeah, she's so small. She's so small. But I'm into the show. Like I'm not obsessed. You know. Obs- Total, like I'm not a convert or anything, but I think it's quite sweet, and I think her approach to items because it's not really minimalism; it's just keeping what you want to prioritizing what you've got. Yeah, and I think at the end of the day, it's entertainment, and it functions well as entertainment. And you know, there have been some articles about oh, shops are flooded by people giving away their stuff. Get to those uh, good shop shops. shops. Yeah, exactly. So I'm going to hit those op shops. Um, And also, I'm really pleased that people are not just chucking things out. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Repurpose it. Yeah, because that's a really sensitive topic. Um, You don't want to be just filling up landfills. Yeah. You want to be thoughtful about how you get rid of things. I think that could be addressed in the show a bit more. Mm. However, it is entertainment. And like wash your clothes before you drop them at the op shop, etc. A little bit of op shop etiquette. Yeah. Just the sisterly stuff. 
I, I really think the life-changing magic of tidying up really sparked the fuck book trend. And oh, it did. Because yeah. there was the Sarah Knight book, the life-changing life magic of not giving, giving a, fuck. a fuck. And then yeah. you get the subtle art of not giving fuck yeah. and so on. So I really think she was the seed yeah. of that, that Absolutely. Um, epic uh, It's interesting change. because I doubt that, that Marie has ever sworn in her life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, she just cool. makes other people swear. So our final um, section of the day is not books. Okay. Who wants to go first? Louise is first on the list. All right. Um, well, my recommendation is a TV show called Shit's Creek, as in S-C-H-I-T-T. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is a 2014 show um, created by... Eugene Levy. Um, oh my gosh, he, I love him! Yay. Oh my god, me too. I just watched Houston's show again. Yes, oh, exactly. Me too. I watched it last so, year. I watch it all the yeah. time. Yeah. Oh my god, okay, well, you guys are going to love this show because it has a real Christopher Guest sort of flavour oh to gosh, it. Amazing. And it has Eugene Levy and the and um, his partner in crime from many a Christopher Guest uh, mockumentary, Catherine O'Hara. Oh my gosh, I love her! Catherine O'Hara is Sorry, the queen. Sorry, I'm going squealing. No, I'm so excited that you're so excited. <laughs> um, it's, and, um, so this is created by Eugene Levy with his son, Daniel Levy, mm. who also has an impressive set of eyebrows. But mm, they're, looks like me. But they're, um, but they're much more plucked. Um, so it's sort of like, yeah, it's sort of like a before and after. Like <laughs> I've seen them on Cold Beer together, I think. Uh, I They're really good. I mean, together. I don't know why I'm talking about their eyebrows, but it kind of has to be addressed up top. It's the elephant in the room. It's the elephant in the room. <laughs> anyway, tell us about okay, the program. So a brief synopsis is as follows. Um, so when rich video store magnate Johnny Rose and his family suddenly find themselves broke, they are forced to leave their pampered lives to recoup um, or regroup, whatever, in Shit's Creek. Oh, um, I love it already. So Shit's Creek is um, it's a town that Eugene um, Eugene's character had bought for his son, who's played by Daniel Levy. So you get to see the eyebrows a lot. <laughs> um, he he had bought this town for his son years ago as a practical, <laughs> as a joke, as a joke birthday present. He's like, look at this town; it's called Shit's Creek. You know, I bought it for like two hundred bucks. Um, here's the deed. And so, when they lose everything, this is their one remaining asset. And um, I'm actually this, crying. And it's it's such a funny moment because the son is going. Wait, you actually bought this town? I thought you just gave me like a photoshopped deed. Like, <laughs> and so they move into this like shitty hotel there, and of course, what follows is a delightful ensemble cast of weirdos who live uh. in this tiny town. You've got your waitress who like makes these really murky smoothies. Um, yeah, you've got. Um, <laughs> The mayor whose family founded the town and he's just kind of a redneck with a wife who makes cheese logs for like a sophisticated <laughs> snack. Um, and of course, they're all really warm and lovely characters. It's um, Fred Willard, isn't it? Um, I'm not sure. Um, I don't think in the episodes, I've only watched a few episodes and then I started watching <laughs> the life changing, <laughs> et cetera, et cetera. Um, <laughs> But yeah, I really recommend the show. I've written down um, that it reminds me of Arrested Development. Arrested mm. Development meets Christopher Guest meets Gilmore Girls because it has that really nasty humour. Um, at first, you know, the family you're just laughing at their misfortune, but then there's a kind of warmth that creeps in mm. and a sort of and a sort of 
old-fashioned kind of ensemble cast sitcom atmosphere mm. that it, that makes it um, much more palatable. And I think the show becomes kinder to its characters as it as it progresses. But um, such a great watch. Is um, it still is it still being filmed? Um, yes, actually, there are still episodes coming out. So oh, for cool. once, I haven't completely missed the boat. Um, Amazing. But it's been going since 2015. I think it's a Canadian mm. production. Um, mm. So it's just kind of been like, kind of just like flying under the radar, but getting lots of getting lots of critical acclaim. Um, and I'm really glad I discovered it. So you can watch it on Netflix right. and probably other streaming services as well. I was just looking up Eugene Levy on Sunday because I rewatched Best in Show, but I mustn't have got up to that bit. <laughs> Chronological. I love Best in Show. Yeah. Me too. I love. I love waiting those for Gusman. Oh, waiting it's for Gusman. It's my favorite. Is so good. Yeah. yeah. Um, what happened? Um, I'm gutted that <laughs> I'm gutted that Parker Posey isn't in. Um, isn't in Shit's Creek, but maybe she will be. There's someone who looks like her though. Okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> Parker by proxy. Yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I I'm going back to Northern I Ireland. <laughs> I've been watching this show on Netflix as well called Dairy Girls, D-E-R-R-Y. And um, I guess after speaking about Milkman, it was quite cool to come across this. It was a lot lighter than Milkman. But it's um, a sitcom about a group of schoolgirls during the Troubles in the early 90s. Um, They're not particularly bothered about the Troubles, but they're like going to school and they're getting their bus checked. And one one time they're going on holiday and they find an IRA member hiding in their boot and it's just kind of just... (laughs) Kind of just in the way of just their... a kind of local flavor, yeah. sort of background, <laughs> or like one an auntie can't go get her spray tan because um this bomb <laughs> the bridge is being bombed. <laughs> so a light-hearted approach, it's a very angle. light-hearted sort of twenty-five minute episodes, um very like kind of slapstick comedy. Everything goes wrong, you know. Usually, some one of the girls does something really stupid. They also have a cousin. Um, a male cousin who's joined them at the girls' Catholic school because it's, he's English and it's too dangerous for him to be at the boys' school, so he's sort of trooping around behind him, and it's just it's just really good. It, the opening scene opens with the cranberries and it has just great music and they're wearing like denim jackets. And it's a great scene where one of the girls is. Um, she puts on a denim jacket over her uniform, which I also did at Catholic school. And um, her mum is like, take Ooh, it off. Ball. And she's like, no, I want to be an individual. And then her mum just gets out the wooden spoon. And then it has her walking down the street and her friend turns up in her denim jacket. And she's like, <laughs> oh, you're not wearing it. And that reminds me <laughs> yeah. so much of it. Can't be an individual alone, you yeah. know. Um, yeah, and there's like wearing yin and yang chokers and like all of this kind of oh, stuff. I'm the so actors are really great. Um, so I think Caitlin Moran meets the castle, meets the in betweeners. Amazing. Um, they're currently filming season two, and it averaged um, two million viewers per episode last year. So I think it just went on to Netflix in December, but it mm. started screening last year. It's just. It's just lighthearted and really fun, and then like another insight into this like Northern yeah. Ireland trend we're seeing. <laughs> Great <laughs> angle, yeah. yeah, yeah, quite a new refreshing angle. Yeah, it's good. It just laugh out loud. I just think those are great recommendations. I'm Yay. so excited because I just don't, haven't known what to watch. Um, oh, that's so often so I've got two great too. shows. Thank Yay. you. Right up my alley. Um, is it my turn? It's your it turn. Okay. So your turn. So I watched um, a documentary about Bros, um, the boy band. So I've been seeing stuff about this on Facebook, and I'm like, "What is this?" Yeah, so, so please tell me. It's um, it's called Bros when the screaming stops, and for those who don't know, Bros were um, a 
kind of a boy band, um, two twins, Luke mm. and Matt Goss, mm. and some other guy <laughs> called Craig. <laughs> it was like the, the other guy. But, the um, guy named Craig. Like the other guy in Savage Garden, the other guy in Wham. Yeah. <laughs> Call myself a music journalist, eh? Yeah. <laughs> and, um, that should be the name of your music book, <laughs> Some Guy Named Craig. <laughs> So they were a trio and they were around in the late 80s and they had all these big hits and rocketed to stardom and then they kind of broke up and this documentary, my eyes are watering so much from laughing, (laughs) this um, documentary, there's been heaps of buzz about it, it it charts the rise and the fall and the relationship between the two brothers. So one's a singer and the other one, it's quite funny because he's the drummer and he's stuck behind this big drum kit. But he kind of wants to be, you know, he wants to be the front man, but he's always sort of been stuck behind this drum kit. And they don't really get on that well. They have a really difficult dynamic. And this um, charts the kind of relationship between them and the rehearsals as they get ready for their first sellout arena show in 28 years. <laughs> and the crappy musicians, mm. crappy songwriters. <laughs> what is their, what's the name of their one of their big hits? Oh, so they did When Will I Be Famous. I've oh, literally and, never heard of that. Drop the Boy. And they might have had another song. <laughs> drop the what? Excuse me, Drop the Boy. Drop the Boy, Yeah. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> like, bra- is it like break up with the boy? Yeah, drop the boy because oh, I'm a okay. man. <laughs> so bizarre. It's cracker, hey. What country are they from? Yeah, they're actually English because oh. I know that you were like thinking, oh, is it are English? they Swedish? Is it a second or... language? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so this is really crack up and people have sort of been saying, is this like a mockumentary? Um, it's like Spinal Tap meets The Office. Also and another Christopher Guest sort yeah, of totally. flavoured. And it, I think if you love the band, then you'll probably love the doco. And if you hate the band, you'll probably love it even more oh, cool. <laughs> because it's so absurd. And everyone's been qu- um, quoting quotes from the doco because they're really quite dumb yeah. like they're, a bit, they're a bit dopey and it's almost like they have this sentiment but they can't it's almost like drop the boy they can't quite communicate it properly um are they loaded yeah 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 so um like you know la kind of big houses and there's a quote okay there's a quote on on humanitarianism from matt and he says one of my songs is called we're all kings which is about a man sweeping the road he is one of my kings because I'm thankful I don't have to sweep the road. What does that even <laughs> mean? So, oh, so bad. Um, <laughs> I really want to watch that. That sounds you know, great. And then there's another one. The letters H O M E are so important because they personify the word home. That's <laughs> <laughs> just they're so dopey. It's really oh crack God. up. Um, you can't make this shit up. Yeah, you actually can't. And I actually was a really big fan of them when I was, I was little. Ask, yeah. Um, I thought I would like it even more, but yeah, it's it's pretty funny. Um, so where can we watch this? Just uh, wherever you watch things. Oh yeah, got it. <laughs> <laughs> Understood. <laughs> Say no more. Tapping yeah, my nose. Yeah. It's pretty funny, <laughs> and they sort of go back home and they sort of visit the council estate where they grew up, and um, they're like, "Oh, the best toy we had when we were growing up was a dart." 
we didn't have the dartboard, but we had the dart, oh. and, um, and it sort of talks about their, they just are always arguing, and it's really funny, you know, the drummer's there, Luke, and he's, Matt's trying to tell him what to do, he's like, oh, go, boom, 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 and it's just like, <laughs> what does that even mean, and he's trying to translate it, and they've got all these session musicians who are just kind of standing around like, oh, God, get me out of here. Like, interesting, though, that they play instruments. Um, yeah, well, apparently one plays guitar. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really disappointed that Craig's not in it. Yeah, Craig, Craig where you at? Yeah. <laughs> I hope he gets he got songwriting credits in the beginning. Yeah. So that he's in a big house somewhere. I hope so. Craig, if you're listening, <laughs> come on the show. Yeah, so that's what I watched. Cool. Um, yeah, pretty that sounds great. Mm. Um, well, that's been quite a long podcast, but a great yeah. one. Oh, was it long? Oh, God, I, we've just been on a time warp. Yeah, but the book time warp. But thank you so much, Tina, for recording us as always. And thank you to the spin off for having us. And also the Matatuhi Foundation for your support. Um, check out the spin off books page. Like and subscribe us on, on iTunes or your podcast platform. You can tweet us, you can email us, and you can look at us on the gram. <laughs> yes. Gram, gram you, can, us. you can gram us. Yeah. You can gram us. <laughs> Open all hours. Open all hours. We did put a question on it yesterday and nobody uh, answered, but maybe because they were just waiting to see what we had to say. Yeah, maybe they'll have something to say now. Yeah. It's, it's sort of hard because I feel like our, le- our, um, our listenership sort of trends towards the introverted and yeah. I don't want to put any pressure on you guys because <laughs> we, we love and respect your introversion. Yeah. But we would also love to hear from you. Yeah. But there's also no pressure. Yeah. <laughs> but thank you. And we'll be back in February and we'll be able to tell you all about the Occam's Long List. Yeah. So, yeah, look forward to that. Kakite. Kakite. Bye. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and, of course, past performance does not guarantee future returns. Talo for Lover. I'm Madeline Chapman, editor at The Spin-Off. If you have the means, consider supporting our high-quality journalism by becoming a Spin-Off member. Sign up now at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.